Are you happy with the state of our country? I'm not. I'm Rob Richardson, engineer, political activist, and advocate for change. I've spent the last two decades fighting for the average person. Disruption is not a compromise. Let's shake things up a bit, challenge the status quo, and focus on what's really important to you. Welcome to Disruption. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. Of course, we're bringing to you the, our special segment, The Breakdown. And uh, our topic today is about the socialist scare. You've heard a lot about this. Uh, socialism has made a little comeback. People are talking about it now. and You're hearing particularly those on the right, but not just the right, really talk about socialism, why it's bad uh, or, you know, why it's good. You know, uh, Democrats now are more in favor of socialism than they ever have been. But the real question is, is all this talk about socialism? Is it really socialism? And how do we get here? And, and how does socialism become such a dirty, bad word within the United States of America? Because certainly that is. We want to explore that history. We want to talk about that history. But before I do that, uh, as, as always, if you're listening to us or watching us on YouTube, please like us. Uh, please write a review. If you're, if you're following us on any of the podcast mediums, be it, Google, uh, be, be it Google Play, be it Apple, whatever it is, please subscribe to us so you can follow us, so you can, so you can get updated on all that we're doing. But for now, I want to turn to the show and really get to talking about socialism. So suddenly socialism is just back and I guess it's popular again. Everyone's getting excited about it or some people are getting freaked out about it or some people don't even know what socialism is necessarily. So I actually want to have that conversation with my esteemed panel, as I'm always glad to have here um, with me is uh, Carlton Washington. Also, James Keyes and Tunde, who is uh, going to give us financial advice. Tunde. I really want to start with you. As we really think about socialism, people are talking about this now. What does socialism actually mean? And from an economic point, what should we really know about it? Thanks, Rob. Um, you know, it's interesting in preparing for tonight, I actually decided, let me, let me look at the Webster's Dictionary definition of socialism um, just for some kind of a, a base what it really is and more to share with the audience. So I'll read real quick. Um, any various, uh, any of various economic and political theories advancing collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods, a system of, of society or group living in which there is no private property, a system or condition of society in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. And so those are the primary definitions. So basically what, what I interpret that as is socialism is basically, in a sense, the opposite of capitalism, meaning the government and the, the system controls capital versus in the capitalistic system, private ownership controls capital primarily. So to me, that's kind of the, if you really want to get to what is socialism, that's it in a nutshell. Right. But so, you know, so when we think about it, when you hear folks talking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and some of the things that she's focused on, uh, one of your favorite people, right, Carlton? Uh, it's um, uh, is she really talking about taking away ownership? Has that been the focus uh, uh, taking away ownership from private hands? And second question is this. Do we have any socialistic I guess type of things that are in America because my understanding is from my brief under, from my brief review of this is that we actually have a system that has some mixture. We have some socialistic 
uh, things here in the United States of America. And obviously, we have a lot of capitalism. Anybody want to weigh in on that? James? Nah, I mean, well, see, this is, I, I think the whole debate is just, is not grounded in any rea- reality. The reality is, is that capitalism, socialism, these are tools, these are, are approaches that you can use to accomplish some talking capitalism. We're speaking about an economic system, an economic framework, when we're talking about the production of private goods or, or sort of the, the availing of services and so forth, the provision of services. But we also have social, we, we also, as a society, use socialism to provide certain needs or meet certain needs or provide certain things. For example, people don't complain and actually people are, are very much in favor of, of socialist police departments and socialist fire departments and socialist roads. Nobody is saying that private capital, when somebody wants to open a business, they have to build the road from all of their customers to their location. That doesn't make any sense. It makes sense that we would have a socialist road where we say, hey, collectively, we want to get around. So let's work together and put that, put, put that in place. And there'll be a socialist road. There'll be a road that we all use and that are paid for for our taxes. When the cops show up after you've been robbed, they don't write you a bill and say, hey, well, if you want us to go solve this crime, you got to you know, pay us. And then, you know, that, that'll be because we have to, to, to provide return on investment for our shareholders. That's not how it works. So granted, with the debate, I agree with the underlying sentiment that we don't want the government building TVs or, or building cars and selling cars and so forth or operating department stores. We don't want government employees doing that. But certain underlying services that enable our economy to work or that provide a certain safety net so that nobody falls below a certain level of, of, of dire straits right. where they become someone who, who, who needs to, to lie, cheat, and steal in order to survive. Those are things that we decide to provide for for a collective good. Now, if you want to get into a debate on which areas we should be doing, which areas we shouldn't, then that's where the debate should be. But this all or nothing capitalism or socialism is nonsensical because if you're going to be smart, you're going to use them. You're going to use both of them in various places where it makes sense. Right. Carlton. So I, I so I know I know we've had conversations particularly about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and, and you being concerned about some of the policies she put that she's putting forward. She is a self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist, as well as, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, who, by the way, just announced that he's running for president. Uh, does, does, does any of their policies concern you? And if, and if so, why? Yeah, it concerns me. I mean, the, to just break it down and put it on, um, you know, where, I guess where the goats can get it is, uh, you know, this is the United States of America. We pride ourselves on being a, a capitalist society. And while what Jimmy is saying is true, that we do have some uh, socialist type services available. I think what people are saying, is uh, that's where it stops. Like, uh, you know, we don't want anything else or anything else to be social accustomed to. I think fire safety and, and police, um, these basic services like that, maybe some education, which is really a disservice to many Americans already. Many of the socialistic things that we have here are a disservice to Americans. And I, I think uh, a lot of us who, you know, work hard for what we have and, and aspire to have more, uh, see people like Bernie Sanders and uh, AOC, as, as they call her now, as a threat. Um, and, and, and especially her, because not only do I feel like she's a threat, I believe that she is very naive and ignorant, um, you know, to the real world. I feel like these are ideals and it really scares me when people operate in ideals versus reality. So, um, what she's saying is, is a direct threat, um, to many of us, um, especially entrepreneurs who work very hard so we can attain more and, and give our families more and, and leave legacies. 
and things of that nature. And, and I feel like uh, the Bernie movement, while, while I do agree with him on a, a, a few things, I think it's very idealistic. I think it's very anti-American. And I, I don't think there's a place for it here. I think a lot of it also is coming from uh, uh, complacency and laziness that is, is, is now so abundant in the United States. And so people don't really want to work that hard to get stuff anymore. They just want to like share and, 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 and put in a pot. And this is not uh, a place for that. Um, I, I think a real cool way to, to, to sum it up is, and I hate to be quoting little Wayne, but little Wayne. Okay, really, I got to hear this. <laughs> it's okay. You can do that. <laughs> I, I swear, you know, he's probably high on lean or whatever, but he said something to me. And, and, you know, sometimes when someone says something in a really basic format, it really sticks. And you say, hey, look, you know, this is the United States of America. If you're not trying to get money, you need to get out of here. Go, leave, go somewhere else. In this country. <laughs> all, only little way can be put in. Hey, 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 James, wait, I'm going to get to you. Wait, 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 very, very quickly. I want to I frame the conversation about uh, in a way that Carlton just talked about. Uh, I think he brought up something that is true. Like Americans pride themselves in capitalism and, and there's always been, and, and socialism has always been a scary thing, but that is for a reason. How do we, how did that happen? It happened because, and I like you guys, and I'll let you guys get more into this, but it happened because uh, the United States got into a battle with Russia, ironically, for a lot of reasons right now. And Russia, of course, is, they are socialists, but they're also authoritarian socialists. And it became deciding if you're going to be American or you're going to be socialist. And if you're a socialist and you are aligning yourself with that, you were thought to be anti-American because socialism for some reasons was popular. Now, now uh, it can take James or Tunde, either one of you, whoever wants to go first. I know. I think James, you jump. Go ahead. Um, if you just give me a moment, the, go the, ahead. the concept that it's lazy people that are fighting against or fighting for socialism, it's the opposite. It's people who, we, for whatever reason, the way progression goes in life is, is that the better you get at something, the harder it is to continue to improve. If you work out, then once you get a certain level of, of strength, it becomes harder to get incremental gains. But people, when they get money, they want to make it easier for, for you to make more money. It's the opposite of the natural order. The natural order is that the, the, the higher you go up the slope, the harder it is to keep going. But everybody right. says, hey, once I get you know, $100,000 or a million dollars, it's easier. I want the government to bail me out if something goes wrong. That's where the laziness is. Nobody was saying, hey, screw socialism when the car companies needed a bailout or when the banks blew up the economy. Nobody was saying that. Everybody was saying, yeah, we got to do this. We got to save all these people. Right. And so, <laughs> and so the, the, the laziness concept is just, look, if you have a level playing sense where it's not, it doesn't become infinitely easier to progress once you get to a certain point, then maybe you don't need all the socialist services. But at the same time, if you're going to do it like you're doing now, where the, the people who have the resources are rigging the system so that other people can't advance or can't, or it makes it easier for them to keep people out, then this is the only pushback. And that's why the, the fight back, the pushback is so hard. Carlton, you know, I want to have a quick response. I, I do agree with you on that. And I, um, I wish that they had let um, those institutions and, co and companies fail back then. Um, I wish that we would let the capitalism be capitalism here instead of picking and choosing uh, the times when we want to allow it to be capitalism. So I, I do agree with you on that. Um, but at the same time, I do see a rising amount of complacency and laziness that really scares me um, and leads me to believe that that's where these ideals are coming from. Uh, you know, quickly, I, I went with my wife to Cuba recently uh, which claims to also be uh, socialist. And uh, I was blown away, man. Um, I, um, I was really turned off by what I saw. 
uh, from the moment I went to the airport uh, to the moment I touched down to the hotel and to the people I interacted with. Uh, I really saw, I, I'd never been anywhere in my life. I've been to a lot of poor countries, a lot of poor places, but I'd never been in my, anywhere in my life where people didn't have ambition, where people actually didn't try. And I saw what that did to that country. And so I came back with the, a new appreciation for capitalism, a stronger one, because, uh, man, I mean, if you go and experience that down there, it's just really, really sad. And, and, and it is just, it's just insane. And so uh, it scares me. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's just how I feel about it. Tune down. I know you want to say something. Go ahead. Real quick, yes. Because, um, first of all, um, Rob, to the point you were, you were trying to steer us to, I think let's definitely address that of the different type of socialism that the world saw in the middle of the 20th century, specifically with, you know, Mussolini, the Nazis, and Stalin and Soviet Russia. I think that's a, that's a different type of socialism than the one we're talking about just on the economic side here. Um, that was more of an authoritarianism, and, and, and I think kind of today's version of that might be Venezuela on a much smaller, smaller scale. But, you know, we're, we're having a very interesting conversation, but I want to bring it back to the original question, which is the definition of socialism. Because I think what we're doing is we're getting caught into uh, kind of the, the rhetoric of what people think. But I want to allude to this, the part that Carl's been about, about the financial crisis and the bailing out of the banks and auto companies, because... I know we've all heard this terminology before, which is kind of like that that was a system of price, privatized gains and socialized losses. And what I realized is that's not really an economic system. That wasn't because of socialism or capitalism. That was really a political decision by our political leaders who, who always want to put off pain and kick the can down the road. So I agree with Carlton, actually, that as much as it would have been painful for me, someone who works in the capital markets, um, had we let them fail, I think we would have had a more honest um, version of capitalism. I think what we did is we picked winners and losers. And I think we're seeing part of the um, social uprising we've seen on the political side uh, is a result of that. The average person feels like the government and the, and the politicians and the people that we elect to lead us don't look out for them, but they look out for the money and interest. And I think that people like Bernie Sanders and, right. and, and Ocasio-Cortez. But and the difference is, is... And even Donald Trump. That's right. I agree. And, and I agree. But let me keep going with this because you're right. Donald Trump is another version of a populist. And you're right. He's, He's a, a fake populist. Him and Bernie God, Sanders, you know, are very similar in what they represent to the people that support them, even though they're different men. But... What I'll say is, going back to the definition that it's in Webster's Dictionary, let's stick on that. A society or group living in which there is no private property. A system or condition of society in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. I would say that's defined more the system in China and Russia where they have state-owned companies. We don't really have that in this country. So I'll say this. I don't know what Bernie Sanders and uh, Ocasio-Cortez are talking about, but if they're talking about that definition and that's where they want to take America, I'm on Carlton's side all day. I don't think that's the America that we envision, that the government actually owns it. Here we go, but let let me finish the point, Jimmy. I agree. I think obviously we all pay taxes into a system to then get a benefit that benefits the majority of people like roads and the military and all that kind of stuff. However, I think what the United States... um, I don't know if we invented this, but I think we kind of perfected it in the 20th century, which is, um, and I think it was the golden age of capitalism kind of post-World War II up until the early 80s, 
where the, the government and the private sector had a good symbiotic relationship, where the government said, okay, we need a big choice, like Eisenhower said. But then the, he also said, okay, we're not going to build them ourselves as the government. Let's go put bids out and let's find private contractors who have employees and who are businesses that understand this stuff to bid on these contracts and we'll, and we'll give the contract of taxpayer-funded dollars to this company to do this project. And that's the same in the military, same in healthcare, same all that. So I think that's socialism. The, but but it's not socialism based on the definition. The government doesn't own those companies. Okay, but is There's it a, is it private capital paying for that, or is it public capital paying for it? That's, that's a good that's, that's a good question. But that but that's not the definition of socialism. You could say that's capitalistic socialism or whatever your case. But the idea is in socialism not being invested there. You're not like I don't understand. Like the person who's paying, but, the but remember, the definition is that the the state owns the 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 the, the business, and that there's no private that's ownership. That's a of, definition. Of, that's of, a definition. That's not the definition. Well, that's that's Webster's dictionary definition. Hey, so hey, we've we, 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 we listened know, we to the dictionary on the twice, here. man. No more dictionary. Yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing, because it's really about because there's also a definition. That it's really about. I didn't take Wikipedia because I didn't want people telling me that. Fake. <laughs> so I, I really wanted to go to Webster. I figured we yeah, all. But, but, but here's the thing. Let, let's just put it this way: How corporate America and the right defines it as anything that collectively has some control. So you know, if you were to talk to Ronald Reagan, you know, at some point he believed that Medicare and Social Security were socialism, which they kind of are. And you, they are, they are, and they're, and they're against that. Military, the military is socialism. You know what you do in a capitalist or in a, in a, in a market-based or a, a capitalist society, if, if pure capitalism for military, it's called mercenaries. Having a, a military that, is, that works for the government and is paychecks paid by the government, that's socialism. Socialism is not a foreign concept. Again, I'm not over here saying we need to be a socialist nation. I'm saying that recognize the socialism all around you. Yep, and also rec recognize, hold on a second. Building cars or, or government, government capital, which is our tax dollars, pay for a lot of things yeah, they that do. we count on every single day. And, 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 and so to Jimmy's point, and I'm so glad you brought this up, Rob, I'm just sitting here listening to you guys. The more you guys, such as social security, you start bringing up tax dollars and all this other stuff, the more disgusted I get listening and talking about it. Because that social security shit, that, oh my God, bro. When they tell us in our generation and my ass that's been working since I was 14 that it's not there anymore, which is 100% gonna happen to me, oh, that's, that's gonna be another failed socialist. I don't um, think people care. Well, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, I don't no, think. And, and hold on a second. Stealing, they're stealing your social security right now and you're not doing anything about it. Yep. Well, right I, want to, I can't say what I want to do about it, but trust me. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> they doubled the payroll tax and they, they've, but, since then they've stolen all of the extra money right, and right. people do not care. Wait, before, before, so, so before, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on. Before, 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 before we go down this route, I want to take us back up. Very quickly, you know, we talked about how we got here and how socialism became so feared. And I want to just take us back. You brought up Cuba, Carlton, and was also a close ally of Russia. You have to think about what we were going through at that time. And in America, we had the greatest expansion of the middle class ever. Progressive tax rates were at some points 91% during this time. So you're talking about a time when people rejected, of course, what they saw in Russia 
But at the end of the day, you had medic, you still have Medicare and you have Medicaid. And I think that is actually more relevant right now to our conversation in Social Security, because you take away Medicare and Medicaid, you're talking about health care and a huge part of this economy. All of a sudden, you would see our economy going a whole other direction because health care is the largest expenditure on anything we spend. And lots of money is made. So, 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 but, but the solution could be... Let me, let me go, ahead, go ahead, Joe. The capitalist solution is people die. That's the way it works. Companies fail if they don't keep up. People die if they can't afford health insurance. That's the way it works in capitalism. Yeah, you ever seen the if you're good with that, I'm uh, not, I'm not uh, arguing. Let, let, me, let me jump in because I think just, we're still no, that's missing. That's how it works. Go to it, uh, Hold on, let me get the good two day. Go. Let, let me just say this. I think we're still missing the point because I think you know, Jimmy, what you're talking about more. The government just has no role. I'm I'm strictly talking about I'm the definition. Capital, I'm saying private capital controls where money's expended. That's what I'm saying. If private no, capital, but what I'm saying is what we're talking about here is, and I think this is where people mix it up. We're talking about social programs that are instituted by the government. That's socialism. But at the end of the day, the government still doesn't control companies that are contracted to deliver those services. This definition of socialism is that the, the state control, like when you're talking about Russia and the, and the Cubans and all that, what happens is they make actually, the government makes the missiles, it owns the factories. It, so it's a different environment than what we have here. What we have here is true Keynesian economics. And I think we, I think none of us support that version. And I think even ALC or Bernie. It's a bad business cycle and a recession because the private sector doesn't have the capital. Correct. And when there's a boom, the government is supposed to rein in its spending because the capital is there from the private sector. I agree with you, Jimmy. What we have is a political problem. We wanted to tinker with certain things including tax rates. And so they raid the Social Security Trust Fund that then leads to Carlton's angst about us not us younger guys not having maybe Social Security in the future. But that's it. That's a political issue. That's different from the difference between capitalism and socialism. That's kind of my point. And I'm just saying, based on the definition of socialism, that would mean that the government would own businesses and capital and produce goods itself, not contract out private companies that guys like me and you can own. But the government but the government does own some healthcare though, right? Like healthcare companies would argue that they're in the business of that business. And Medicare is the the government does own is that not right? By that Wait, definition, the government just writes the check. The government the doctors but, but, don't work for us. Uh, yes, they do. No, I agree. Oh, right. no, they, but let me put it this no, way no, here, too. Because for, you, they work for Big Pharma and they work for the government. Well, they work for Big Pharma, but that's, that's capitalism. That's capitalism. Uh, they don't, but no, no, no. The United States government is not on their check. It's, it, 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 the government correct, like you're saying. pays the insurance. That's either going to be, if, if, if it's Medicare, that's the government paying the, paying the insurance. But that's not the government writing the check. The VA is the government writing the check. It's a VA hospital. That's, that's run by the government. But, but, to, but, to, but, but to today's point, I want to have a quick wrap up on this. I, I do think when you hear the conversation and the scare of socialism, it's not really socialism. It's really people are nervous about changes in the status quo. They're nervous that it's going to require more investment for, for, for health insurance. They're nervous. And I'm saying them, people that are benefiting off of the current environment, which you know, none of us here, I think, are that extreme yet in the 0.01%, unless Carlton, maybe he's there, but I'm not there. We might be there one day, but the point is, those folks, don't, they want to keep it as it is right now, and they are nervous about 
the the current trajectory of folks being unapologetic about saying taxes need to be raised. You hardly ever heard Democrats talk about that ever. They would kind of run away from it. Now, you know, now you have Democrats saying we need to do this and we need to make sure we're upfront and bold about it. I actually think I think that's what people are nervous about. Go ahead, Carlton. It's not just the people in the one percent or the point one percent. It's the people who aspire to be there. That's, yeah, that's, that's actually the more more of the people are saying, hey, I plan to be there one day. So don't don't make it crazy. But see, Carlton, exactly. that's where you miss it. Man. You your stuff now and then oppose it when you get there. That's so, the American way. <laughs> <laughs> Like it now to post it when you get there. Okay. <laughs> Raise taxes now. When I get rich, lower the taxes. That's how people do it. Hey, that's, that's, that's how like it the happens. conversation last week about the governor and the blackface. I guess, you know, one way he saw one way, and then when he got to the office, he, he, he didn't think that way anymore. He moonwalked his way back. The record, that wasn't one. <laughs> that wasn't. Go ahead, Carlton. I don't, I don't, you can edit that one out. <laughs> I, I don't agree because I don't, I don't trust um, the government to spend the money. I, I don't trust the government to do much right now. And, and so uh, I think Rob hit it on the head and, and you as well, Jimmy, that, yeah, some of us just aspire to be in that. I mean, it's nothing to be in the top 5% now. It's quite easy, especially where we live down here in South Florida. Um, and so a lot of people that are busting their ass and working very hard in their careers and spend a lot of money on school and training and learning and perfecting their craft are moving into these tax brackets. Now, the majority, now look, you're, we're talking about 5% and up. Obviously, the other 95% hey, look, you know, we're sitting here concerned. We're leaving legacies for our families. You know, we're not politicians promising people the world. And so, therefore, you know, these people are not speaking for a lot of people out there who are really leading our country uh, in, in areas like small business and places that really matter. Not politicians and politics, but places that really impact people's lives. And so those are the people that are pissed off and upset about this kind of talk. Because and that goes back to my laziness and complacency. Because these people that are in America, we're talking about the United States of America. I grew up on watching Donald Trump and you know dudes on yachts with sales videos saying, "Look, you can be like this too," you know, and like buy into the American dream. And that's what a lot of us bought into, and that's what drives a lot of us to go into our professions and do you know whatever it is that drives you. Yep, there's yep. something that's driving the United States of America to be successful. Yep, yep. And People like that, like us, don't want that taken away. And if you're going to threaten that, you're going to have a lot of opposition, you know, because you are a threat to the system and to our way of life. Right. So I think I think people who don't, I think the people who are not for that, these are people that are are a lot of them are complacent. A lot of them are gaming the system. A lot of them are uh, collecting fake social security, fake disability, uh, scammers, defrauding Medicare. And those people, like you said a second ago, you're like, what happens if something happens to those systems? I've always wanted to see what happens if something does happen to those systems. Take, let's, let's, let's enforce taking these people who are gaming the system and who are not uh, providing things for society. Let, let's put those people in a place where they have to really work hard to, to get somewhere and let's see what happens. And maybe everybody will make it. You know? And then maybe we'll have there, There's something I, I got to say here. Go ahead, go ahead, Jimmy. Carlson. Carlson. And this is the very interesting point you raised because I find this so often and I, so I have to ask you the question. First, I will say, I, I think you are 100% right on, nobody trusts the government to spend the money. It's just going to be cronyism, you know, so it's just going to end up back, you know, somewhere where it doesn't belong or it's because somebody gave a lot of money or, or, you know, did whatever, some kind of special favor. Um, but the issue I always have with the point you made, yes, there are scammers on the bottom and they are scraping at this and scraping at that. They got 10,000 here or 
out there and, and those guys, I don't like that. You know, that, that does offend me, but what offends me more are the guys that are taking 2 million out of a military contract or doing prescription drug scams that are running 50 billion out or 50 million out of Medicare. That bothers me a lot more than the guy that just got a thousand dollars out of, you know, at, at a scam in some low level. We're, we're on the same page here. Right. Yeah, so I always wonder why the focus is on the little guy and we want to punish those little guys. Those little guys are like gnats on, the, on somebody's balls, man. Yep. Nobody worries about that. Hey, what Carlton. you're talking about here is the, the guys, the big time scammers where we got to go after. Carlton, I'm going to let you respond, but I, but, I, but I do want to make a really quick point, you know, it is actually by a conservative index. Denmark is one of the best places to start a business, and they have lots of socialistic programs. In fact, they have a huge welfare state. I want to say because when you go out there and take that risk, there there are many people that are working hard every single day, but then things happen that you don't expect. You know, you have a family member or you get sick and then you don't have access to health care. Your business is over if you don't have access to health care. Uh, so it's about making sure you can have a, also a, a safety net where you can go out and pursue your dreams too, because they take risks, right? Because if you don't have that ability, uh, you have to, you have to, you have to stay tethered to a job just because of healthcare. You can't go out there and take that risk. So I think there's something to be said about having some collective whole, whether you call it some, I don't, I don't think that that's, that's not socialism in the way we talk about it, but that is socialism in the way that people are threatened by it right now. So I like to say, and actually it wasn't me that said it, it's a great book I read, but there are no solutions. There's only trade-offs. You have to think about what your trade-off is going to be. If your trade-off is going to be people's lives, if your trade-off is going to be not being able to take those risks, then that's the trade-off some people would want to have because they benefit from the system. But I think that is fewer rather than many. But of course, that's why we're having this debate. Carlton. Well, let me jump in oh, here on this point because you there make a great point, Rob, and it, and it reminds me of, you know, I lived in Australia for almost five years and they are, you know, I would say similar to the Canadian and, and British system. Um, I wouldn't call it a socialist country. They got their own stock market. They're, they're very capitalist country, but they do have a higher level of social programs, I would say, than, uh, than here at the United States. And a few years ago, I went back for a visit, and one of my friends, he's a developer, real estate developer there, and he does pretty well. But we were talking about this stuff, and he says, Tunde, you know what? Once you hit 200000 in income here in Australia, you're at the 48% tax bracket. Now, that could be inaccurate because I haven't researched that, but I remember from when I lived there before that you know, my mom would say the same thing, that the taxes were much higher and all that. The difference is, of course, they had universal health care public schools were properly funded, all that kind of stuff in general. I mean, I know someone can point out to some, to, to, to knock me on what they're saying, but in general, those things were well-funded. The difference here is what I learned is I run a business, I own my own business. My health insurance for me, my wife, and my three kids is about $18,000 a year. Public schools and where I live down here, uh, the elementary school's great, but then once you get past that, it's not that good. And so we have to spend about 20 grand a year each year, my son was in high school for four years. So what I realized is it is a choice, Rob. You're right. This country, the culture of our country is that people want to have that choice and that kind of freedom. In other countries, they say, okay, we'd rather have this stuff provided for us by one central kind of system. Because when I look at it, when I started thinking about my health insurance premiums, the school tuition, some other knickknack things, I realized at the end of the day, it's kind of like a tax because I got to pay it. It is a tax if you could afford to pay it. And I don't pay for any of the stuff. Or I pay very low tax rate right now, especially as a business owner and 
for the IRS that might be watching. It's all legal. Um, but then I got to pay out of pocket these extra things. So what I realize is, and you're right about this aspiration to getting to the 1% or the 5%. For those of us that are fortunate enough to have uh, figured out how to make a decent living, the United States is a great place because we can create our own reality. I can choose what health insurance I want. I can choose what school my kid goes to. I can choose this and that. For the average person making 40 grand a year, 30 grand, or the equivalent around the world, that other system, probably the Australian system that I saw would have been better for that person because they would have paid a lot, you know, a higher percentage in taxes, but a lot of those services would have been there for them. So I think part of this argument is what side of the fence we sit on. And you guys make a good point, right? The wealth class is scared of the Ocasio-Cortez and the Sanders, but it's equivalent to the fear that they had during the financial crisis that, you know, the kind of populist people had that the cronies and the capitalists were taking everything. And I'm not here to advocate who's right or wrong because I think it's about what lens you're looking at it from. But going back to the basic uh, kind of, topic if socialism means that the state and the government owns the businesses and produces stuff then i think that's the real question is that going to be better than if we have a capitalist system my opinion is no um i tend to i think it was winston churchill that said capitalism is the best system to human beings figure out something better and i kind of ascribe to that I, I i think that allowing people to kind of compete in an environment and rise to the top is good. But to your point, Carlton, about social security, there's enough human beings and studies on psychology to, at this point in our history that there's a certain percentage of people that literally can't think past a week from that. So I think when we talk about social security and some of these other benefits, a lot of it comes down to what kind of society do we want to live in? And like you said, Jimmy, about the people being that, that kind of do the low end stealing are like gnats on our balls. Right. I look at it that way that I'd like. All right. That's an interesting analogy. We'll put that in to the street and things like that. So, so I would, I'll support social security to give everybody a general safety net and things like that so that they're not in the street begging us for money or beating us over the head for our money. Right. So uh, I don't look at that so much as socialism as, as, as I look at it as you got a society of 300 million people. If out of that number, 30 to 40 million people. Right don't have the chemical makeup in their brain to literally think past seven days, then as a society, we got to think they're going to be at our doorstep or they're going to be in the street or they're going to be, remember the eighties right, when right. we were kids uh, and you uh, had the window Carl, washers on every yeah. corner. I'm glad we don't have that anymore. Carlton, I, Carlton, I, Carlton, I'm going to give you the last point on this. Then we got to move to another topic. Yeah. 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 I, okay. you know, I don't want, obviously this is, uh, this, this last point could go into a lot of things about it, but you know, a lot of this, um, this, you know, you're talking about, um, government benefits, uh, socialism, uh, uh, us, everybody putting in a pot to take care of everybody else. And, and, you know, some of those things are, are, are good. They sound good. They're ideal, man. But I remember, um, you know, some of the people who know me, I, I lost a lot in 2008, 2009. And I talk about this sometimes. And me, my wife and I, we ended up moving into basically right across from the projects in Atlanta. And um, every morning I would wake up. Um, I was lucky enough to, uh, to, to get a job. Um, at a time when, you know, I would say 50% of the city was out of work and I would wake up, man, in the morning, you know, 7am, I got my tie on, I'm driving by and, you know, I'm in, I'm in Bankhead in Atlanta and I'm seeing eight, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. They're setting up barbecue grills, 
sitting outside, smoking blunts, getting ready for the day, inviting people over. Frit, I know they got a fridge full of food, you know, and, and, and I'm looking at people like that every day. And I know there's people like that across all across the United States, all over America, everywhere. And I was like, wow, you know what? I want to wake up and go barbecue today and not go to work and do all these things. <laughs> like, that's what I'm going. That's what I'm going to work for. Like, damn, maybe I got it, got it confused. And so just, just when I see stuff like that, it bothers me. So there's so many of those people hiding within the crowd of people that are supporting uh, some of the things that we've been talking about this evening. So it bothers me to my core because, Bro. because why, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that if someone else is getting a benefit? And, but and, don't you do yeah. your work because you're motivated internally, though? Or do you only do what you do for the external gain? I think that the people that are the workers in society, both, they work both, because both. they want to work. Because, no, if you were sitting on a lot of money right now, you're the kind of guy I've known you for 20 plus years. You'd be out grinding no matter what, because that's who you are. And circumstance, I'm going to keep grinding. That's what I do. But I will say this, and I know you want to wrap, Rob, so I can, don't let I can them wrap it. <laughs> but I can wrap it with this. See, I think that this is one of those issues, though, that illustrates how much Americans actually agree. When we look at polls, we, we oftentimes are, are told, hey, Americans disagree, you know, the 20 percent difference in what this American thinks versus that American thinks. But actually, to Tunde's point, he's, when he defines socialism, he's using a very narrow de definition of socialism to say it's bad. So he's defining and, and I'm going to bring this back. I'm not putting, putting you out by saying this tonight. But what I'm saying is, is that if you define socialism solely as government ownership, then I think you're going to get 90 percent, 90 plus percent of Americans to say, no, we don't want the government to own industries and own the, the means of production. But in terms of saying, should government invest in things to help move a private economy along? You're going to get 90 plus percent to say yes. So. That's why my point all along with this was socialism is a tool in our is an arrow in our quiver, just like capital, just like, you know, the capitalism is that those are things that we need to use to craft the society the way that we want. And all I'm saying is, let's be smart about it. Let's give it thought. Let's not just have reflexive reactions when we hear a word. Oh, that's good. No, no. Let's look and see what makes sense. Because the next time somebody tells me that a capitalist military is best for our country will be the first time that I see that because that's what that's what did the Romans in. Yeah. All right. Very good. We're, we're going to end that topic on there. Uh, uh, Carlton, let's, let's go back to that neighborhood and let's sell them the barbecue grills and, um, and sell them the cigars so they can put their weed in it. Uh, all right. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. We'll do. We're going to end on that point. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Carlton, one of your favorite people again, was in the news in New York. Amazon was scheduled to be to open up its new campus uh, to invest in infrastructure to what they say create 25,000 new jobs in New York. Uh, but it did come with a little catch. They, they got about $3 billion in tax incentives, and they said all of that the, the, the city of New York would have gotten back through all of the jobs and the tax income that would come from the jobs that they create. But there was there was a lot of pushback, particularly now with the state of the Democratic Party being a lot more progressive. Uh, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was was one of those folks. And she said this. Let's let's take a quick listen to that. We're subsidizing those jobs. So for the, the city was paying for those jobs. So frankly, if we were willing to give Amazon three, if we're will, willing to give away three billion dollars for this deal, 
we could invest those $3 billion in our district ourselves if we wanted to. We could hire out more teachers. We can fix our subways. We can put a lot of people to work for that money if we wanted to. Out of that $3 billion, we could have invested in more teachers. We could have invested in more roads. We could have invested in subway system. And I'm glad that they decided not to come here. This really... um. Uh, this is one example, I think, when you talk about how our system currently works. Our tax dollars are given to multinational corporations, which, by the way, I should point this out, that Amazon made about $11 billion last year. And can you guess, can anyone guess how much they paid in taxes? Anyone? Zero. Nothing. Zilch. Nada. Be nice if we all paid zero and we, and, we pay, and we made $11 billion, but they got to do that. And they were going to get another tax incentive for $3 billion. So some folks were saying, we don't think that's enough, particularly when you come here, we're, you're going to displace people. Prices will, uh, will actually go up for homes. And many people that have lived there forever can't afford to live there. That's the argument. That's why some folks were upset by it. Uh, that's why Amazon... Uh, that's why people didn't want... Some people didn't want Amazon there. Amazon pulled out. They didn't give every reason, but they said there were a few reasons. Some of these folks were also requiring that the jobs were union and that, the, and that they would pay good wages. And they basically scoffed at that and said, no, I actually think this is part of the problem. Uh, and I think this is why Trump is popular in some ways. And it's why socialism is gaining popularity because people are looking around and they're seeing that they're saying it's a rigged system. Donald Trump said that. From, that's, the only, that's the only thing I agree with him on. He was right about that. Now, I think he's further rigged the system. That's neither here nor there. But people see that. People see examples like this and see that Amazon's going to come in town. They're going to get $3 billion in tax incentives, but they're not willing to pay union wages. They're not willing to guarantee local employment. And some people were upset by that. They, you know, even five years ago, everyone would have laid down the carpet for them, Democrat, Republicans. You know, now you're seeing pushback. And the question I have for the panel is, do you think that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and those who pushed back were right? Or do you think that others who said that this was a mistake by those leaders to push Amazon out and it's actually bad for the people of New York? What are your thoughts? I'll start with anybody. I, I think that, um, I mean, what point did she prove now? They're gone. You know, it's a private company. He can do what he wants. He's going to show them that he's going to do what he wants. I mean, and, and they don't have any right to regulate. Uh, if it's a bad deal for the company, the company doesn't want to take it. Goodbye. You know, and you're going to you're going to pay the price. You just cost your constituent uh, job, um, probably decent paying job. So um, but if it's I, a bad deal for the city, should the city walk away? You know, it, you, that's uh, uh, was, it, was it really a bad deal for the city? I mean, anytime you bring a new business like that to the city, I mean, you're going to get some growth and you're going to get like they, like they said, you're going to get increased tax uh, tax dollars in the city. So uh, I don't think it was a bad deal for New York city, but now they're gone and they're not coming back. So it's a loss for New York city. My and, question was more so if it was a bad deal, if, if, you know, whatever the facts are, if no one, no deal. one should take a bad deal. No okay. one should take a bad All right. Deal. No, I just, that, same, that was at the same time, Jeff Bezos didn't get rich by taking bad deals either. You exactly. Know? So, exactly. That's a great point. Good <laughs> What I, I don't like about this woman, AOC, is that she's so naive. Like, you, you, you don't have a right to regulate my business and tell me what to do, especially when I'm that large. I'll take my business elsewhere where I'm appreciated. 
you know, and, and, and well, that's exactly what the government should do. Right. And Warren Buffett said there's a there, look, there's there there's a fool in every deal and, and if you don't know the fool is, it's probably you. So that there, Jeff, there, there, Carlton, everything you're saying has a has an exact flip side. Jeff Bezos didn't get rich taking bad deals. He got rich making other people take bad deals. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> if he's if he's giving New York a bad deal, which I don't know if it's a good deal or a bad deal. I will say this corporations getting all this money from, from these cities to do this and do that. And they rarely live History shows they rarely live up to what they say they're going to do. You see this with, um, with sports teams. Arenas, bro. Yes. That sounds very socialistic, by the way. I'm just saying, Hey, we need all this money. We're going to bring all these jobs, all this development. It doesn't happen. You know, nope. these go, these huge palace arenas, that cost hundreds of billions of dollars and a ghost town around it. And the cities are left holding the bag. Down in Miami, it's an infamous one. Cincinnati's one, too. Yes. We set the standard, unfortunately. That was another infamous one. And so, I don't know. I don't think Jeff Bezos went to New York trying to do a favor for New York. Now, I think New York is also uniquely situated where they don't really need Amazon. If this was Gary, Indiana. They take whatever they can get. uh, Probably should just... (laughs) It's like, look, no, nah, we, we, we got it going on anyway, whether you're here or not. But Amazon's not going there, though. Interestingly enough, people want to be in places that have a lot of investments. You know, the, the New York take New, it's expensive to live in New York. The taxes are high, but a lot of talent wants to move there. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the one thing, though, is that I, that I do agree with is that and, and, and I'm not pro Amazon here at all. I'm actually quite afraid of them uh, and what they're doing. But. At the same time, I'm also pro-business, but I don't understand, you know, like, for, for instance, in my business, uh, I'm very pro-employee. Um, you know, I would never make a decision like what, what they did, you know, with the company uh, if I was ever blessed to have an opportunity like that. But I, like you were just saying, you mentioned Gary, Indiana. Like, I don't understand why these companies aren't going uh, and doing things like what Kia did and bringing these plants, these, these, these um, warehouses or whatever these, these type of jobs are and bringing them somewhere that actually needs them. Bring it to a state in an area that actually needs because this. corporations and, don't have a contract. Well, yeah. That's not their goal. Yeah. Let so me address that one. one very quickly. I, I think I think that you you just touched on a great point that it's one thing to be into capitalism and it's one thing to make good business decisions, but I mean you you do need to have a conscience. And if you don't, I mean that's just pretty sad and scary. So. Five, final point too, Dave, that we're gonna move on. Yeah, no, I think, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of big decisions that go into where companies move and we shouldn't mix that up with the conversation today about, you know, socialism, capitalism stuff. I mean, you know, remember, New York is a financial hub. There's ports of entry by sea, rail, air. There's a lot of reasons the shipping, why they probably wanted to be in a bigger city that had a lot of that infrastructure than somewhere in the middle of the country that might have taken another 10 years just to build out that infrastructure. So, Let's separate that, but I wanted to touch on a few though, things. Because lot- they wanted that, and they wanted their $3 billion. And they, could, they could get their $3 billion, but just don't go where all that stuff is. That, no, I, think I get that. that $3 but billion just- is socialism. That $3 billion is no, socialism. But, well, but, let me speak ahead, to that. because we. That's what I'm saying. This is, that Amazon thing has a lot of moving pieces, so I think we can't, we can't address it all in just that's true. a short You're going to misrepresent segment. something if you try to put it but, all. Yeah, correct. And I just... So, but let me stick to well, kind of a few things that we're talking about here because I wrote down a few notes. So, going back to Ocasio Cortez, I think this is where I definitely agree with 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 Carlton that she's showing her naiveness here. She's showing the fact she's a kid, thirty years old, and new to Congress, and kind of doesn't understand the whole workings of the system. 
that $3 billion was a tax incentive. And when I saw her interviewed about why she was leading the fight against this, she had the naive response of, oh, well, the $3 billion can then be spent somewhere else. But I think she misunderstood that $3 billion isn't cash sitting there that the state was going to give Amazon. That was a credit against future probably state income tax or, or sales tax, whatever else. But it will take away resources, though, right? It would be fair to say that it takes away future resources. I don't know. Because here, but let me finish my point, because I think this is where it's just whatever side of the fence you sit on. They had committed to offering 25,000 jobs in New York. We already know from last year that they committed that their minimum wage across the country was going to be $15 an hour. So, and assuming that New York does uh, require a higher income for the cost of living there, I did the math. If you had an average of 50000 a year in salaries, which, because remember, Amazon has a lot of high-skilled workers. So the average, if we just said the average is fifty grand for tw- times 25,000 employees, that's $1.25 billion in annual income that those employees are generating. If you average out... 25% in federal income tax at $312 million that they're getting deducted like us that own a business that these people are W-2. So that tax is getting paid. I don't know what the state income hey, man, tax rate is. I don't know about you, man. I pay all my tax. I, I, I don't... I, don't I, I pay all my tax. Me too. Okay. <laughs> we all do. Me, me, me four. <laughs> yes. Um, no, but the point all I'm saying is that this is what I'm saying, that people look at that number. Oh, they don't pay taxes and they're getting this tax break and everything's so good for this company. But my point is, is that those 25,000 jobs also create tax revenue from federal, state, sales tax, that's employees spending money in their communities, gasoline tax, because more people got to drive and buy gas. So what I'm saying is the money gets generated and flows through the system. How it gets to the treasury of the state or the federal government, I don't really care. And that's my point about, that's why I do agree that a business like that, making a foot move, move like that to New York, most likely would have been positive. I agree with you guys on the examples of stadiums. I think that's a disgrace and what happened in Miami was a disgrace. And also remember, the type of employee they end up hiring for the majority in those stadiums are the minimum wage workers, the people taking our tickets and cleaning up the mess at the end of the day. We know that Amazon is not going to... Yeah, they're not year-round. You know. Correct. But we know that Amazon is not going to hire that kind of employee. Amazon is going to hire more skilled. Their lowest employee is going to earn 15 bucks an hour probably in the warehouse. Which We're going to have engineers, tech people, all that kind of stuff. So I think this was a naive move by but Isn't people. your entire analysis based on speculation and taking Amazon's word on everything? Like you're, you're assuming Amazon's going to actually hire 25,000 people. You're assuming a, a rate of pay. You're assuming that that rate of pay and those, that influx of people isn't going to drive up property values to where you're going to displace a ton of people or where that to where it doesn't function anymore. Like there's well, a lot of here's, assumptions. Here's and I think, what I'll say, Jimmy, want, but this is where the political, but you're right. I mean, look, this is where the well, all I'm saying is because you in. want I'm, them to be right. You're looking at things through a lens that, clouds in their favor. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that when I was listening to your, your analysis, all I heard was that every, every place where you could look at things one way or the other, you basically took Amazon, this will work out like this, and this will work out like that. And I just no, don't know right. why we're giving people the benefit of the no. doubt, like giving companies the benefit of the doubt like that. Yeah. Final point today. I want to, I want to go. We got to go. But, but let me just answer that point because it's a good point. Look, you're right. I'm giving, I am leaning on Amazon's side benefit of the doubt. 
because I understand they're going to end up doing it or they won't if they right. had the opportunity since obviously they're not going to go there. Now, um, yeah, what I'm yeah. saying is based on the information that was at hand, it seemed like it made sense because you're right. I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm also giving the governor, Mario Cuomo, the mayors of the cities, I'm giving the political class in New York the benefit of the doubt that whatever deal they made with Amazon, they were going to hold them accountable and make sure that stuff. The government's done. a horrible. Maybe there was a deal that if they didn't hire twenty-five thousand people and they didn't do this and that, they didn't get their tax break. I don't know. And that's or my point. Just gave I wasn't them a, in a big political donation, right? And I, I would just say, like, governments are the worst. Go ahead. Go ahead. But remember, we're not here to speculate on on political corruption and cronyism. We're just here to talk about socialism versus right. And, and by the way, I don't think it's cronyism. I just want to say this point. I don't think necessarily it's corruption either. It could just be pure incompetence. People in the a lot of folks in the private sector are better at negotiating deals, and they get great deals against the government. It's just it's been that's just true. <laughs> Better at a lot of select better politicians. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm saying that from a conceptual standpoint, I'm not going to punish the numbers. You know what I mean? Like, to me, everything on paper for that deal made sense. I agree with you guys. Look, there could have been political cronies. He could have made campaign donations. I'm not saying all that. I'm saying for the purpose of our conversation. I have to say the conversation versus the Marlin Stadium. Yes, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I, I would. I would agree. I mean, it's a good point. It was a great discussion. The Stadium or the Bengals Stadium? Oh, God, no. Let's not. I don't want to have any more. No, you'll give me a headache. I want to actually, I do want to get, as we're talking about stadiums, though, we can go right to our disruptor of the week because it deals with the NFL. It deals with my fraternity brother, Carlton's fraternity brother, Colin Kaepernick, who is the disruptor of the week. Uh, he actually settled his collusion lawsuit against the NFL, which I believe, by the way, is a socialistic organization. They all work together, and no matter what, look at the Bengals, for example. They can have a losing season, not not win a playoff game, and still be very profitable because they all share in the profits because they all collectively work together to do that. It's a collective, it's a collective whole. But uh, I want to say this. Uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick got them to settle, got them to do something that a lot of people didn't think was possible. It's interesting to hear. So he's our disruptor of the week, but it's interesting to hear a lot of the reactions because I've heard, particularly from African Americans, some not all, because this is this is a debate. But some people say he's sold out, which I don't even understand. But I do think <laughs> I do think he did cause disruption to the NFL. He made a powerful point, and he's and, and no one can deny that being made, but. He did, he did get some money for this, but that was his goal. He got shut out of working simply for taking a statement against police brutality and standing up for rights. He financial grievance. Exactly. <laughs> like I, that's, it's crazy to say he sold out. <laughs> he, the grievance he had was for wrongfully with... That's what I'm that's saying. What I'm saying. I agree. I'll settle that is with cash. <laughs> like, so that's, that's, that, I found that to be crazy, too, that, that people were saying, yeah. oh, he sold out. Like, well, how did you think this was going to be resolved? Like, he's saying you guys denied me money. Yeah, no, I, I mean, completely. But he's our disruptor of the week. And, you know, we don't have to belabor that point. I just wanted, I just think he did a good thing. He did take a strong stance, and there's nothing wrong with, this, with him actually taking the payout. That's exactly what he was fighting for. I mean, he was fighting for the principal at that time. The, the, the action that was settled was, for, was something that was going to be redressed with finances. You're not going to get an order saying that, whether you know in this case it's from an arbitrator that some team has to sign them. That's not the way 
uh, arbitrator orders work or you can't right, go to right. court and get that kind of relief. Um, but I do, you know, like the, the Kaepernick issue always was one that there, there was such a contrast. Um, you know, I found that, you know, you, when you go to and you, and you can see such you know, problem with, with the, 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 the conduct during the anthem and that being so anti-American. And, but a lot of times with people don't have the same visceral reaction to the brandishing of the, the Confederate flag, for example, which only exists as a treasonous act against the United States and to kill American Union soldiers. And so that, that contrast to me always just blew my mind. I know we're not really going into that issue, but the, 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 the act in itself, the protest in itself became so big because of the reaction it got. And, and so that, that's great for it, though. You know, you, you, you definitely can appreciate that he was able to bring attention. He definitely disrupted the system. He definitely did that. Nonviolent act. Yep, which is, I think, the most American thing you could do. Carlton. He disrupted the system. Um, I, I, man, I've done a lot of listening with this because I, I live in Boca. So um, and, <laughs> I, I, I'm listening. And, and it's funny, I, the things I would hear people say about him that, and I was like, hold up, you remember he was in the Super Bowl, right? Like, like he was, wasn't he, they were like, he's a horrible quarterback and all this. I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? So um, I'm glad he got his money. And, um, you know, I'm glad that he held his, held his ground. And I, I don't think that's the last we're going to hear of him. I think this is going to embolden him even more. And it's going to embolden other athletes even more. And um, I think this is a situation people can't fight, you know, uh, as far as people bringing awareness to what he was trying to bring. Um, I, I, it still disgusts me that people try to um, entangle the two issues uh, of, of um, you know, the flag and all this stuff and what he was actually kneeling for. Um, and I think it's so interesting also how the guy that told him to kneel, uh, you know, has gotten drowned out so many times after he's given yeah. the interview. The yeah. white guy over and over, was, over again. He was originally you know? seated. And then he, he consulted yeah. with what was a Green Beret, right? Yep. And the Green yeah. Beret said a kneel actually would be more respectful. And so he yeah. started kneeling to be more respectful. And that's what caused all this. Yeah. yeah. So really, that, that issue's really scared me. And I don't talk about it too much, and obviously, in this community, but it really scares me that people get the two, um, you know, uh, confused. And so, uh, and I think, again, it comes back to, you know, what we talk about sometimes is people need to listen and talk to each other and understand these issues. <laughs> But, you know, there's an irony there, Carlton, though, is that the protest would be ineffective if people didn't get mad. Like, correct to make people angry for the protest to have any effect. And then to make people angry, he's going to have to do his career for it. Um, you know, well, it, I hear someone's considering him now, right? I, I hear you right now, right? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, we'll see. We're, 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 we're actually going to move off this from that point, too. So we'll see. He definitely disrupted We want to finally conclude this with our Are You Serious portion. And this are, uh, this are You Serious is actually going to be dedicated to the Republican Party and Donald Trump. Donald Trump, uh, after not getting the money he wanted in his wall from Congress, he said, we got an emergency. Kind of interesting it's an emergency because he's been talking about a wall ever since he started running for president. He had two years, two years where uh, the Republicans controlled both branches of Congress Yet he still didn't get his funding. He still didn't get his wall. Now when it's a Democratic Congress, now when the Mueller investigation is about through, suddenly we have an emergency out of nowhere. If this is an emergency, why has it just now become an emergency? But the part I really find troubling is that the whole Republican Party, or most of them, 
all the most that are in power are going along with this, no matter what. When Obama did something small, when he just changed uh, the executive order to allow more undocumented workers to stay, everyone said this was an abuse of power. Everyone was saying he's an emperor. Now you have a president going against Congress and taking funding from other things that Congress has already funded, and Congress told him no. And so you had Republicans totally against this type of thing, now willing to abdicate all of their responsibility just because their president happens to be in power. Yeah. I find it, are you serious? I just can't believe this, but I love to hear the take from the... Yeah, from the but Rob, Rob, you know, this kind of goes back to what you are talking about a second ago and the huge contrast between businessmen, uh, real men, and politics. Real men, okay. They're seeing in politics in general, uh, but something that, that Donald Trump's been able to exploit is that you, uh, a lot of these people you find in D.C., that are doing, you know, that are kind of never dealt with, dealt with a real bully before uh, and someone who's going to get their way. And so it's like, this guy, he's effective. And, 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 I, and, and, you know, sometimes I watch Donald Trump. I don't agree with everything he does. But, hey, I mean, if I was in D.C. and I wanted to get some, if I was in D.C. and I was the president of the United States and you wouldn't tell me no, if I have a campaign promise and I want to get it done, I'm going to get it done. And so I, I, I think what it is, we don't everybody doesn't agree with what. But, uh, or what he's actually doing as far as the wall is concerned. But these guys are all cowards, and they right. all have their tail between their legs. And but I think it's greater than that. Carl, no. Carl, I, I look at it completely different. Go, go ahead, they don't know how to deal James. With them, you know? Yeah, I mean, no, I agree. I, I think you're correct on that. They don't know how to deal with somebody. But the, the, what they don't know how to deal with is somebody who's not willing to play by the rules. Uh, the United States, you know, we have what's called the U.S. Constitution, and that's supposed to be the ultimate law of the land. And so Donald Trump demonstrated he, he's willing. He doesn't care about what the Constitution says. And so he does paralyze. And the Republican Party with him, not just Donald Trump, but they go along with him. They, they were willing to go along with him, basically, when he says yeah. the Constitution. They, and, and so that does make everybody, that puts everybody off. Nobody knows what to do when he says, look, I know that I'm not supposed to profit from being in office, but you know what? I don't care. What do you Yeah, do but so Jimmy, that's like, uh, that kind of goes back to when people used to like, lay their jackets down for women to walk over puddles and stuff you know no, no, no. the u.s constitution um, is not or we get like, challenge someone to a duel what i'm saying is that you know a lot of people are what i'm trying to say is that people now uh, don't think like that anymore so to tell you the truth I, i'm pretty sure most politicians in dc could give a damn about the constitution you know like people are only there to what you're saying looks to be yeah. true. it looks to be true it looks to be true but here's the problem carlton they'll care about the constitution let, let me just say this they'll care about the constitution let's say a democratic president says okay we could declare emergencies let's declare emergencies on guns and we're going to just say i'm going to confiscate your guns or let's declare a, a an emergency on climate change. Then we're going to look at and start taking away power from coal companies and just right. I mean, I, I mean, either one. I mean, you can just you can stretch. I mean, we can figure out how to stretch the powers of the of the presidency. And I guarantee you, Republicans would be outraged, be willing to burn the streets. I know, but to your point, it's the same thing. It's just like last week we talked about Bezos um, and 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 what he should do and what he shouldn't do. And 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 the comment was. If you were Bezos, what's the point of being Bezos if you can't do what you want to do? And so I'm pretty sure when people like Donald Trump aspire to be the president, they don't aspire to be the president so they can just listen to some dude oh, telling no. them what to do. If, you if know, you or listen to Congress, listen to, or no, listen. If you are patriotic, then you should. How many 
you know what you know what the oath of office is? Do you yes. know where you pledge your 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 loyalty to yes. to swear and defend also, or to protect? I also know Constitution, yeah, not your money. money. If that's not what we're doing anymore, man. If that's not what we're doing anymore, then yeah. you know you you pretty you're a revolutionary. Let, let me basically. jump in here because I, I got a thought to share. I mean, basically, what we're seeing is is what all of us as human beings are guilty of is situational ethics, right? When the Democrats were in power and Obama did an executive order on DACA, which created a path to, to U.S. citizenship, which should only be granted by Congress, the right went nuts. And the left said, oh, it's okay because those DACA people deserve, you know, that wasn't to exactly have a right to, to the country. It, now that it's the, the, the game is switched and the Republican president's in power, the Republicans are turning the other way when he's abusing the Constitution and the Democrats are all going nuts. Right. So I think... Part of what we're seeing is just that normal. But but I, everybody I, off that when their guy does something, right, they don't right. you know they don't say anything. But when the other guy does something, it's a big deal. I think what the difference now and what you guys have alluded to is Donald Trump is a very unique character. Yes, I mean, he we've is. Never had someone like this leading up. I think he's doing this unintentionally. I think it's just a personality. But he's basically pushing and stress testing every kind of correct you know, theme of the constitution. And so what I think is more interesting than this, that he did this, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Where does this go? Does this make it all the way up to the Supreme court? It's going to, do they figure out how to do something else before it gets there? Um, who knows? And I agree with you guys. If he's allowed to get away with it, it creates a precedent that I don't know if I'm comfortable with only because then it creates that tit for tat. You're right. right. The next Democrat that gets in, all of a sudden, yes. when it's there's a school shooting, it's, it's an escalation. escalation. Yeah. And like DACA, DACA, correct. This to it, then what's the it's next? It's going to be whatever your opinion is is an emergency. And by the way, I, th I, I think I think I think DACA is a different. I think it's a my opinion. I think that's a false equivalent of just of just looking at at actually saying that because you can make executive orders about how you're going to enforce what 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 Donald Trump is doing. This is really important. The, the Congress has the power to. To, 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 to give the money. And what he's doing is saying, I am going to take that power and allocate money the way I want to. That's never, there is zero precedent for that. Like, there was precedent for what Obama's done. Other, 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 other people have done that. Go ahead. But it wasn't declared as an emergency, and that would be Iran-Contra, right? The Congress told the Reagan administration, we're no longer funding this stuff in South America. So what did they do? They went around them and sold missiles to Iran and got the got the money to this um, the Contras to fight them, the Sandinistas and all that stuff. Um, Which people went to jail. Over, another topic yes. of why we were selling <laughs> this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, let's not. People went to jail over that. That's <laughs> kind of the point here. <laughs> no, but but I'm saying that this is not without precedent. Is my point, and and then all those back to kind of the political cronyism more so. And like you guys said, the inability of our politicians to actually follow the Constitution, and. You know, that's where I understand the guys like Ron Paul and all these, these, these browbeating constitutionalists back in the days and that we used to see because this stuff is just everybody who gets in loves the Constitution until they don't agree with something that it might stop them from doing. And then they want to go around it. And that's just, and, you know, and I, it, it, I think you're going to see more and more of that as our generation and younger generations start to take power. Get ready. That means Alexander Casa Cortez can do some of the stuff you don't like. Yeah, I will start eating. Yeah, that's true. I'll be like, yeah, it goes both ways. Like, just don't even talk about it. That's what he's saying. Yeah, you're going to see most of the people I know 
Well, so we're 30 years out from civics in school, right? And so people, unless you go to law school, you don't even hear about the Constitution. Yeah, right. 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 Well, yeah, I, I think let's think about this too, though. It's just like a business. Hold on, let's guard to go. When it comes to business now, it's just like the generation, a couple generations before us, um, when Ford family was involved in Ford or, or all of these companies, you know, that you know about now, uh, the way the founders and these people who had a different type of connection uh, to these businesses, Randy's businesses versus who's running them now, the boards, uh-huh. now the MBAs now, it's night and day. That's true. No. You're, you're, you're talking about the ultimate law of the land versus some no. corporate doctrine. What I'm saying in the base equivalence, the constitution is the foundation of our country. I understand that. But what I'm saying is just like there might've been corporate policy or culture or whatever at a Ford. And I know it's not a country. What I'm saying is that if you went to Ford now, I'm pretty sure that people don't care about that and they only care about the bottom line. And so what I think you're going to see in the future with politics is that people, they're like, what constitution? You know what I'm saying? That's what you're going to see. That's the other thing. There's a word for that. It's called revolutionary. It's called revolutionary. Yeah. You're, you're, you're trying yeah, to I think, I think they literally just don't. I don't think people, I think a lot of people that are getting to office right now just don't care. Well, you know well I mean? but that's why that's you have a court. So we'll see what happens with the courts. Let's say everybody can vote 10 times. I mean, or let's say, let's, let's just, or the, the president is a king. Like the president's a king and you can do whatever he wants. Like, look, the constitution is what, stand, what sets the rules of the game. And so if we're not going to b- abide by that patriotic American, because that's what America stands for. When the military swears their oath, they don't swear it to the president. They don't swear it to the, the chairman of Ford. They, sh- chair, they, they swear it to the U.S. Constitution. It's there well, for, that's, what for. that's what we're here for. If we're no, not here I, for that, let's start a new country. I understand but, that. But Jimmy, I, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that. I think what Carlton's just saying is that, that, that there'll become a complacency where people, not that they want to go against the Constitution, but they'll just stop kind of upholding the norms and we'll devolve into a little Well, that's bit. where we are now. That's, that's where we are, are now. That's where we are so now. We are now. But, but let me, let me Donald add Trump this is in. And uh, still enriching the Trump family and legacy than he is the Constitution. Yeah. With that being said, that's what I'm talking about. I think that the culture has shifted. I think that the morals and, and, and all of the rules that we used to play by, those things are going out the window really, really quickly. And so you're going to see that over time as these older uh, justices die off and these older congressmen and senators die off, you're going to see a complete shift. And it's going to literally be like let me, let me Let me just well, say you know to what? Let me, Colin Kaepernick. Go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead, Jimmy. James. You didn't hear anybody telling me that they're a patriot because they're not. Oh, they're not. Because no, they're not. No. They're not. No, they're just <laughs> mad at Kaepernick. Yep. Or, uh, because we're drinking. That... <laughs> no, look. Yeah, well, let me let me add this though, guys. Very quickly. I think what we're talking about is an interesting topic, but I, I I've thought about this too over time. That the Bible, sorry, the Constitution has become like the Bible, in a sense, not a religion, obviously. But what I'm saying is that people use it and they interpret it in a way that they want to see things. People that don't like gays will find passages in the Bibles that that support their view. Remember, people that wanted to keep slavery, that was the whole split between the Southern Baptists and, you know, and and the other Baptists, because one of them used the Bible to justify slavery. We don't do that anymore, right? We don't say that the Bible justifies slavery. So I think the Constitution is the same way. When, again, when it's something you agree with, or not you guys personally, but what someone want to agree with, they'll find a reason in the Constitution for it to be there. If it's something they disagree with, they'll find a reason that in a way that the Constitution can be interpreted for them, for them to disagree with it. 
So I, I just think that it's, it's well, that's not what the we've problem, seen. Though. The, but, the but, problem but let me is just that nobody this. cares. That well, is the exercise. But, but now people but say, the thing, you know what? I, I agree with you that we're deteriorating, but I think here's the problem, in my opinion. I mean, partially we could all blame, you know, the corporate interests and lobbying that keeps Congress polarized because they're more worried about getting reelected and getting more campaign donations than actually sitting down and figuring out how to agree on something. I think there's a lot more issues that are breaking or down our system. And so what, I, what I'm getting at is if you look at the, the, the Constitution itself, it lays out a framework. And when I look at the last 10 years, because Bush had a kind of a lock on the system because of 9-11 and the wars, I think a lot of people just kind of followed along for a long time. But with Obama and with Trump, what we're seeing is really these guys are such different men and different politically and all that, but they're both finding the need to use executive action because of the inability of Congress to start agreeing and giving them legislation that can actually solve issues. So remember, the only reason why the deficit started coming down during the Obama administration in terms of the budget deficit was not because Obama was waving a wand or the Republicans were waving a wand. It's because they couldn't agree on anything. And in 2020, everything reverted back to the old tax rates and more revenue was collected. So it ended up being a good result, but unfortunately it was because no one could agree on anything. So we, we constantly, and that's probably what drove Obama to feel like he had to do the executive action with DACA and things, you know, that, that the Congress wouldn't agree with him. And I'm sure that's what Trump will tell us that drove him to do his, not just this one, but other executive actions that the Congress wouldn't get on board. Whether that's true or not, you know, we can debate that. Right. Right. But I think that we have a broken Congress. One of, those, one of the three main branches of government is, is, has been ineffective for probably 20 years. Right. right. Or maybe even <laughs> since the 94 yeah. wave. I think ever since that 94 wave, the Congress has just been weaponized for politics and money. Well, I, I'm I, not doing the work of the American people. And I think we're seeing all this is the result of all that. Right. Well, that's, that's a great, great point. That's a great point. It's, it's a great point that you raise as far as because Congress has no obligation to go along with the with the president on no, DACA no. Or on on the wall. Like if they say no, they say no. But the underlying issue of Congress just agree with anything yeah. that's not a par- highly partisan issue and that that party is in control with, then you know, like that is a, a, a symptom of a breakdown in the system. Um, you know that that is problematic. I mean, that that's a good point. Well, but, well, but, but I, 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 I want to take us to a. But I, I think we have to keep history in mind when you look at America. We've actually Congress is. It's been very hard to get anything passed except for extraordinary moments in American history, and that was kind of by design. You know, we have three branches of government. We have federalism, which means that the states have the the rights to do their own type of government. It makes it very hard unless you have nearly every state on board, unless you have all three branches of government to get anything really big done. And sometimes it's frustrating when you need things like civil rights to pass, when you need slavery to end. Uh, those things couldn't happen because it took such a large amount of people and institutions to agree that it didn't happen. However, I thank God that it's hard to do really huge, big things when you have somebody like Donald Trump in power because the system is designed to, in some ways, be dysfunctional, to move slow and not to do that. So I, you, ha- you have to remember that our greatest points in terms of progress were passed at monumental times, like during war, World War II, during the Great Depression, uh, right at the, you know, right after the Civil War started, actually, right after the Civil War started was when we got land-grant colleges, is when we got railroads. None of the South was in during that time, 
And, you know, and, you that's know, when that's things were passed. <laughs> no, I, that's what happened. I mean, I'm not yeah, saying anything no, about the South. I'm just making I'm an observation. It's funny, but it's true. It's true, yeah. right? So, like, we've always been a little dysfunctional, a very dysfunctional, and it comes that we have to, we usually get it together in moments of crisis. I hope that happens. What I don't want to see, though, is we get to a point where we can't come back. You know, even FDR, which I, I greatly admired FDR, but he was, he pushed the envelope hard, yeah. and he and he got, he Democrats had to bring him back when he tried to stack the Supreme Court. Like, this is not new. Presidents have done this a lot. And it's up to Congress, and it's more up to the American people to wake up and make sure they get more engaged. This is Disruption Now. We're glad you could join us. Tune in every week on YouTube. Tune in on podcasts. We're glad to have you. We thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.